the intersection of ideas and action. This is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our latest episode in Series 4 of Longitudes of Imagination. I'm Tony Zhou, a Longitude Fellow at Yale University. Throughout this series, we've invited members of NASA's Gateway Program to share their experience and contributions of empowering humans to become an interplanetary species. From international relations and policy to engineering and operations, you'll learn how NASA has teamed up with its partners, the Canadian Space Agency, European Space Agency, and Japanese Space Agency, to set the stage for deep space exploration. Today's episode features conversational highlights I shared with Sean Fuller, the International Partner Manager for the Gateway Program. Having built a 24-year career at NASA, Sean now manages programmatic and technical integration of Gateway's international partnerships. My current role, I'm the uh, International Partner Manager for the Gateway Program, and so what that means is both the technical and a programmatic integration of our international partners on Gateway. And, and so what those are is the European Space Agency, the Canadian Space Agency, and the Japanese Space Agency. We're taking a partnership that started with ISS and moving that ahead into what we call cislunar space with the Gateway, uh, a small station around the moon. And so my job is those partner elements as they're contributing different uh, elements, both modules uh, in Canada's case, a robotic arm, uh, ESA has a couple of modules with uh, Japanese components within it for life support and a Japanese resupply vehicle. So it's both the technical integration of it. So how do we get these modules all working together across the gateway uh, as they, they meet up in space? Very similar to ISS, you, you attach them in space. But then also the programmatic side of it, the, the agreements that get into that, how are we going to operate on a day-to-day basis? How do we make our, our engineering decisions when it's an integrated vehicle. So everybody has their, their pieces to it, but they all have to work together and tie together. And so the, that integration across it, that kind of all falls under uh, my purview and the job I'm doing today. And I, I had a chance to read uh, some of the work that you've done and um, this agreement that you had talked about. So one of the questions that I had is on collaboration and working with teams of, of this size, because you're also mediating nations as well. How do you go about coming to agreements, because I'm sure everybody wants wants a, a little bit of piece of the pie. And so how do you uh, negotiate in a way where everyone comes out a winner? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll tell you, one of the great advantages, I, I think, of Gateway and our partnership is it's not a new partnership. If I go back and look at the, the Canada case, it actually started with the robotic arm on the shuttle. Uh, we started some of our European collaboration as well as Japanese collaboration, the shuttle program that then grew into the ISS program. And that now 24 year history of ISS uh, will be October this year, 24 years since the first piece uh, was put into orbit. And so we've been working hand in hand with these teams for that, that amount of time frame. In fact, a lot of my colleagues from around the world, uh, we started in ISS partnerships and built beyond that. So, so we, I say that to say we've kind of come to a, a very common vernacular an understanding of the capabilities and the desires and the goals of each. And that's really uh, into the foundation of it is what are our goals at NASA in the U.S., in Europe with ESA, in Canada with the Canadian Space Agency, and then in Japan. 
and how do we dovetail those together? Uh, as we look at it, human exploration and going beyond low Earth orbit, there's a lot of similarities there. there there's a lot of interest uh, in going back to the moon and in the, the NASA case, we're going to the moon for the first time in our partners cases, uh, what we can do there, but then also looking at that, not as a destination, but as part of the journey onto Mars. And so if we all take a step back and look at it, you know, one of the ways you do that is you look at the common goals, right? And, and so we have a lot of common goals or maybe different ways to get to it. I always try to boil it down to the technical right or best answer. Many times there's more than one answer, but the best answer and then then drive it from that direction. Uh, I find working with our colleagues around the world for all these years, we, we know each other very well. Uh, there absolutely is sometimes that there's give and take, but but I think that happens in, in any kind of relationship uh, that you have. But we all know what we're achieving for at the end. That's expanding human exploration. That's the, the operations we're going to do on and near the moon and, and also expanding it uh, to Mars. So we always kind of keep that as our focus and understand that it's not always a direct path to get there. There's zigs and zags in the road uh, that do that. Uh, we each have not only our, our technical uh, capabilities and challenges, but in a venture of this size, you have budgetary and, and political uh, challenges that come along as well uh, for it. And so we look to, to really capitalize off each other. You know, the Gateway and even ISS was born out of that capability. Uh, certainly, could any one nation probably do this on their own? Uh, maybe not all, but a lot of them could. But is that the best route to go? And is there the, the funding to do that? And, and of course, that's not the case. How do we maximize our resources so that the benefits in the end, uh, each one invests some, but you, you all gain on the benefits and the research in the end? It's really wonderful to hear you say that because in one of your previous articles that I read, you, you kind of actually touch on this where you say, and I'm, I'm just going to quickly quote you here, is you say just because someone has a different way of doing things, it doesn't make them wrong. Um, and there's more than one path to do things. And, you know, you kind of just touched on that. And, you know, there's probably much more detail to that. But you, you also touched on the cost of things and having watched some videos, correct me if I'm wrong, there's the space shuttle that will shoot into space is like going to cost around like 2.5 billion because it, it might be like disposable rather than continuing to reuse the, the rocket. Yeah, yeah, it's it's different, right? We're, we're all great in seeing that the SpaceX's and the industry work on the reusability and low Earth orbit and made tremendous great strides uh, in that. As we look at going to the moon, it takes a significant more amount of energy to do that. And so when you when you return something and land it, you're, you're using some of that rocket fuel literally to bring it back down to Earth and not being used to put a mass in orbit. We look to fly Orion along with, as we call it, co-manifested payloads, which is the gateway element. So that one rocket is not only launching a four crew, but it's also launching a 10 metric ton module taken out to and build up gateway. And so it's different environments uh, that do that. Uh, so again, it, it, there, there's different paths to it, but as we look at that and look at the way to, to, to maximize it, uh, we really need to, to focus on that. You know, we, we flew uh, expendable, I'll say rockets for low earth orbit for many, many decades. And really it's coming to maturity here in the last uh, less than decade of that reusability that we see today. I certainly envision that, that as we continue the exploration and continue 
uh, developments in, in those areas that in the future, there will be more components of deep space rockets that will end up being reusable as well. Just today, we're, we're not at that efficiency level uh, for it. And, and so for a large part, uh, uh, it, you're getting the maximum use out of it to get the most mass you can out to, in our case, uh, a moon orbit. Yeah. So from your long tenure with NASA, um, and you were a part of, I, I believe, the Expedition 1, Right. What, what, what are some lessons that you've learned just from starting right immediately, you know, having graduated college to working now and the input that you give in each new project? Yeah, it's, you know, with each new project, I'd say, I say bring your history and knowledge base for it, but don't let that pollute the future as well in looking at it. And so you've got a great background, a great knowledge from it. But you can apply the new lessons and the new ways into a future project. I had the fortunate uh, advantage, I'll say, when I started working at the Johnson Space Center in 96, that uh, a year later, because we were learning how to do ISS, ISS hadn't started flying yet. We had a thing called the Shuttle Mir program. We had U.S. astronauts uh, on Mir and and saw that as, as our learning ground to get that base of knowledge into ISS. I was uh, very early exposed into that international partnership uh, and, and working with them. And so from each one of those, you take those lessons, uh, early days of ISS, it was a partnership across the board that we had not operated in that realm on a day-to-day basis with each other. So one of the things that I talk about a comparison as we evolved ISS and that partnership to Gateway, we have a volume. It's about 11 volumes of what we call the implementation for ISS, how all the pieces are going to work together between our partners. It's not just the the hardware on orbit, but how, for example, we're going to do scheduling of the crew day, how we're going to plan logistics on a logistics flight. In the gateway, now we've got 20, 24 years, like I said, of experience. We took all those lessons learned and said, we're, we're going to take nine volumes of, I'm sure, well over a thousand pages we could condense it down to one very concise 50, 60 page type uh, document because we all built on that history we had in the past. We've taken it. We've taken a lot of lessons learned, you know, things that we did in ISS that we said, golly, if we had the opportunity to do it again, we might do this a little different. Well, fortunately, we have the opportunity to do it again. And in the early days of the Gateway Partnership, before we actually formalized our agreements, that's one of the things we all sat down and said, okay, we know what the ISS agreements are. If we could do it differently, which we now can, how would we do that differently? And again, we found talking to the partnership, uh, some very common themes in there that we could maximize, uh, again, building on those lessons learned for the future. So myself personally, kind of as you go through it, each time you, 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 you get new opportunities, you, you certainly don't forget the past, you build upon the past, And I also tell folks, if you're going to change something, it behooves you to know why you're going to change. Change for the sake of change is not necessarily a good thing, but but learn from the past, learn from the histories. And if there's a better way to to go try to address something, certainly do that. And and I've had a lot of those opportunities for for better or worse over the years because of my my continued uh, involvement in different aspects of the international partnership. So how would you gauge, because it seems like you're also talking about elements of decision-making. And so there are times where maybe you would lean to more, more risk-taking or there are times where your decision-making is a bit more conservative. 
how do you gauge how you sort of handle decision making at, at a level that I think there's there's a lot on the line. Yeah, and you're right. And 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 there's a lot on the line. There's not a lot on the line just for myself or for yeah. NASA or for the well, NASA may be the, the largest partner uh, in Gateway, for example. All of our other partners have a very vested interest as well, and they have risk involved in it too. And so leveraging on that, everybody in each each area, each person brings in a different perspective. And so when you're balancing all that, not only am I pulling upon our team, our broad team, but also our international team to it as well. Let's make sure we understand all the different elements uh, that are out there, because sometimes I may not see, for example, a decision made on the NASA side and how it impacts our European colleagues. So let's make sure we have that information out on the table and then balance that risk amongst us. I'll tell you, I think you find that doing that, having a very open conversation with everybody really helps the whole team to understand the different aspects to it and understand the decision it's made to get there. Understanding everybody's pros and cons, uh, that kind of helps you looking at it from a big picture. Sometimes I may make a decision that in my silo, just the NASA part, is different than when if, if I look at the whole partnership and what's best for the partnership for it. And so pulling in all those pieces is, is very key. It's also key to, to understand the major levers on our partner side, because we find that they have similar ones to us uh, from a risk and also from a financial standpoint, but understanding that, because you can get wrapped up into the politics, if you will, of it. It's gonna cost me more than you and whatnot. If you boil it down to the best technical decision, that usually helps lead you to the best answer as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very insightful. You know, now, like, like how you said, there's a lot of different uh, partners that are vested in, and interested in this. I think recently UCLA just announced their first space medicine fellowship. So there are also like a lot of different fields now wanting and becoming more interested in space. How would you give advice to students um, that may be not necessarily coming from engineering backgrounds, um, but want to be involved in space and how to navigate uh, into this field. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great opportunities out there uh, in that research community. You know, we, we've learned a lot of things on ISS and in different areas that, that we had no, no idea about. And a lot of fields that are finding the advantage when you take away gravity into things you can do. Medicine is certainly one of them structures on materials uh, in the chemistry realm, that's another area of, uh, of things that, that we're learning every day on ISS and we're learning on the future uh, vehicles as well as the things you can do in space. And so I, I would just say, open your horizons to it. You know, I would imagine, I know myself when, when I went through my degree program in, in, in engineering, I was an engineering physics major. The, the, the thought of eliminating gravity from the equation probably didn't cross our mind very much. That's a very powerful thing when you can eliminate gravity from it. And now what can you do with that? And so I would tell folks in, in multiple fields, just have a very broad and open mind. It, it can really, uh, really open up opportunities there. You know, operating in space, we're seeing it on a, on a daily basis. In fact, right now we, we have uh, four crew from the Axiom One mission on ISS, a uh, non-professional, uh, if you will, uh, astronauts from the astronaut corps. Uh, operating on ISS, doing research that's opening up a commercial field uh, there for it. So I think you're going to see a great expanse in that uh, of opportunities there and, and a lot of great returns 
uh, from it as well uh, in the future. Based on the research, do you think research that's done in space will impact and advance research done on Earth or the other way around? Or do you think both will try to complement one another? Yeah, I, I think it, it feeds both, right? It, we've done some tremendous, especially in, in the, the realm of life sciences, research, DNA sequencing on orbit, uh, again, different aspects that, that, that we couldn't do in a lab on the Earth. And then that feeds into, so now you, you close that knowledge gap there, and it feeds into the, the next level of research or manufacturing or development uh, down on the Earth. But then it can iterate back up into the on-orbit phase as well of the next step. So I really think that those two feed off of each other. Sometimes you learn the lessons in space because let's face it, it's not cheap. It's getting cheaper, but it's not cheap to put stuff into space. And so you, you kind of learn and you learn, we've learned new manufacturing methods uh, by doing that, that sure, you could manufacture it in space, but you've actually learned it and now you can apply it on earth and, and produce that uh, medicine or the manufacturing on earth. So I really think that they, they feed off of each other. And we'll see that continue uh, in the future. Yeah. With the Gateway program, there's two questions that I, I have. One is, what are some goals and objectives that you want to, I guess, accomplish over the next course of, of the while to further uh, the, the success of the Gateway program? And then two, throughout this program, what are some unexpected things that have like caught you by surprise? So, so in terms of, you know, where do I want to see what well, we're building hardware now, we're manufacturing it in Torino, Italy, uh, and then out in California with, with our first two elements are coming together, uh, the pieces to them, the initial structure, and then we'll, uh, uh, the pressurized shell, that's what's happening out in, in Italy, it'll be shipped to the US uh, latter part of this year, we'll continue that outfitting, getting the hardware on orbit, mm -hmm. assembling and operating gateway, obviously that, that there is, is a big milestone for it. Uh, we'll have the first elements in, in the latter portion of 2024 uh, that will launch into orbit and then adding on beyond that. So I'm very much looking forward to that. You know, it's going to bring us a different realm uh, of space exploration. Of course, we, we had the Apollo program uh, in the late 60s and 70s, which, which did great that showed, hey, we can get to the moon. We know a lot more about the moon from that. We get the crew back home. That was really a scouting mission, if you will. Now that we've got that, we, we, our, our technologies have matured, our capabilities have matured. Now we're going out to, to if you will, uh, settle in and have a uh, more sustained, as we call it, presence. And so Gateway doing that, enabling the landers to come to Gateway, pick up the crew, go down to the surface, bring the crew back to Gateway, and then use that lander again to go down to the surface for the next crew. You know, that's going to be a, a great moment when you see that and you really see that that human exploration now in space has expanded beyond low Earth orbit. And now our cutting edge is, is out uh, in the moon vicinity, and we're using that to get ready for the future. And so I, I'm going to relish the day when a first crew enters Gateway. You know, that's going to be a great accomplishment. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when the next crew comes and they go down to the lunar surface and are coming back from the lunar surface, you know, that, that's going to be a great thing. That's really kind of taking all these pieces and building that sustainability. And we see that for that repeatability, affordability, and sustainability uh, that it's going to provide. And so, uh, you know, things along the way that, that, that surprised me, one of the great things that I do see in, in Gateway and in this partnership and, and, and with uh, uh, even within NASA is you come across a challenge, a block, if you will. But you open it up 
and the team comes in and, and attacks it. And before you know it, you've got a great solution. And next thing you know, it was that was just a small speed bump in the road. It wasn't a block along the way. Uh, you know, as, as we look at things, and one that comes to mind is refueling. And how are we going to do refueling uh, for Gateway? Well, our European partners stepped up on that and said, hey, we got some things here we've been working on that we didn't know about. Uh, that they've been working on and, and kind of put our technical capabilities together, close that gap. Okay, that's great. We got that out. Now let's move on to the next one. And so we, we've been doing a, a lot of great things with that. Uh, I've seen a, a lot of interest grow around the world in, in potential new partners on the future. And that's always good to see because that, that again, it shows not only our initial partnership, but it's expanding it to more the, the, the overall fever, uh, if you will, around the globe of doing this, of doing uh, the expansion and, and, and humans returning to the moon, being a part of that as not we as, as one nation, but we as a humanity expand uh, to the moon. But but also, like I've said, you know, many different nations certainly have their sights on how can we work this together, uh, expand beyond the moon and get to Mars. And so I think you see a lot of interest in that and seeing nations from around the world, that enthusiasm and that interest of being a piece of this, being a piece of Artemis, and expanding uh, beyond is, is always very refreshing. Yeah, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there there definitely is a very human element to this. There is this heightened sense of, I would say more importance or urgency around the world. I think a lot of, like, like we previously talked about a lot of industries, even from fashion. And I think Netflix just like released the recent documentary for Return to Space to kind of get more public attention. How do you, you know, when you're, not working when you're done work, bring yourself back down to earth and just in, enjoy like the human parts of, of non-work. They say, you know, you're fortunate if you have a job that, that, that you go to work and enjoy. And, and I certainly do have that. Uh, you know, you, you come home and, and there's pieces of that that come with there too. That's part of that joy. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, as a family, we enjoy seeing the space station fly over. I've got pictures of my daughters. I've got two younger daughters. Well, they're high school now, but when they were much younger, holding them in the arms and then pointing to the sky and, and seeing the space station fly over. And so seeing that, uh, you know, our partnership, it expands beyond that to friendship as well. You know, yeah. I, I have travels over to Europe and, and, and the folks that we, we work hard during the days, but then the nice chance in evenings and, and just to, to uh, share our family stories and, and enjoy the time. It's a lot of fun. You find yourself, you walk through an airport and you don't realize it, but your your backpack has got your NASA tag on it because that's what you use when you travel and people stop you and ask about it. And so you see that all the time. It, I don't think it's something you ever turn off, but it's big, partly because you enjoy it uh, and enjoy being a part of it. Yeah, that, that's really incredible. And I think that's part of why, I guess, space is a, such a interesting field for everyone because it's not only advancing tech, but, you know, we're talking about a lot of different sort of issues of humanity, how we can like unite as one in, in a way and not be in conflict with, with one another. I think this was super interesting and really grateful and th thank you for your time. And I appreciate it, Tony. As you can tell, I'm always happy to, to talk about it and, you know, it, so it's going to give us a lot of great opportunities and yeah. out there now. And I think it really tells you, you know, that the hu humans have a curiosity. What's beyond the next hill? What's beyond that next mountain? That was part yeah. of our exploration in the U.S. and discovering the new lands to the West. And, and we're doing it now, but it's not on Earth. It, it's above Earth and it's going farther. It's 
Yeah. It's going to go out to Mars and really expanding that human knowledge. And as you said, it really bringing folks together uh, for that. And, and that's what's so key. We hope you enjoyed these highlights as much as we did. Personally, I'm incredibly excited for Gateway and NASA's future projects. With its many international and commercial contributors, Gateway has evolved into a global effort to expand humanity to the moon and beyond. We humans are innately curious creatures. And to echo what Sean said earlier, deep space is this opportunity to see what's beyond the next hill or the next mountain. And Gateway's success will be a significant moment in history, demonstrating how nations united to find solutions for aerospace engineering, habitation, and logistics. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and in the comments, or write to us at podcast at longitude.site. We would love to hear from you. Join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude Soundbites.